0: This podcast was produced by FM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On the Air.
1: Kia ora and welcome to Sightlines, your guide to the visual arts in and around Dunedin. I'm Sally Macmillan, and this show is brought to you on behalf of the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society. A Happy New Year to all our art lover listeners. We've got a great lineup of shows planned for 2023. This month, we're looking at nudes, in particular the male nudes, which have been such a focus for Dunedin artist John Z. Robinson. But first, here's DPag Society President Ross Curry with the latest on the Dunedin art scene. In February, we're looking ahead and talking about the treats in store for 2023. This is Snapshot. Ross, let's start with the Dunedin Public Art Gallery. What's coming up?
0: Well, I'm particularly excited to hear that Dame Robin White's recent acclaimed retrospective at Te Papa is coming to the Dunedin Public Art Gallery in March. Te Whana Ke tanga, Something is Happening Here, is an intimate journey across place and time. It includes her iconic landscapes and portraits, as well as collaborations with artists from Japan, Tonga and Fiji. Dame Robin's continuous innovation is a feature of this show.
1: And for those of us who didn't quite make it up north to see her exhibition there, um, this is a, an enormous relief. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, I agree.
1: Yeah, And we have a visiting artist this year, a new visiting artist.
0: That's right, Peter Robinson, who whakapapas to Ngai Tahu, is the Gallery's Aotearoa visiting artist for 2023. And he'll be spending the time living in Otipoti over the summer with an exhibition in April. Robinson is known for his playful, provocative and ironic practice. Drawing, painting, sculpture, digital media and installation have played a part in his extensive body of work. He's participated in Biennales in Venice, Istanbul and Jakarta. He's always changing tack and the work Robinson produces during his residency will be eagerly anticipated.
1: Indeed. And what about exhibitions by Dunedin artists at DPag, Ross?
0: Well, as part of the Public Art Gallery's Biennial Contemporary Dunedin Program, there will be an exhibition in July and a group of Dunedin-based artists. This will include work by Madison Kelly, Motoko Kikawa, Hannah Joint, Jane Venice and Kate Fitzharris. Another retrospective opens in December. Uh, focusing on the career of the late Marilyn Webb, curated by Lauren Gutzel, Lucy Hammonds, curators at the public gallery, and Bridget Rewiti. It'll be accompanied by a substantial publication um authored by those three.
1: Fantastic. And I think there's also some stuff coming up for kids at the gallery. Yeah, in yeah
0: the the gallery hasn't forgotten about kids. Babies, toddlers and under fives are not forgotten, with a free guided tour on February the eighth at ten fifteen. This tour is in te reo Māori and English.
1: That's what we like to see, get those art lovers happening young. So what's coming up in the dealer galleries, Ross?
0: From February the 10th, the Milford Gallery will have a major sculpture invitational. This will include a significant number of well-known New Zealand sculptors. Included is work by Anton Ford, Martin Selman, Lonnie Hutchinson, Robert Yankee, Neil Dawson, Chris Booth, Terry Stringer, Paul Dibble, Graham Bennett, who showed recently, Ben Pierce, Chris Charteris, and Chris Bailey. Well wow, it's quite a collection. <laughs> it's a fantastic lineup. So Brett McDowell has a couple of regulars to start the year. The late Martin Thompson has his sixteenth exhibition at Brett McDowell opening February the seventeenth. And on the tenth of March, Dunedin local Jonathan Cumming will have a second show with Brett. Jonathan's work has been described as intriguing, edgy, and mysterious. His previous shows have included drawings and mixed media work.
1: A lot for art lovers to look forward to. Thanks, Ross. And now it's time for our feature item. This month on Sightlines, we are getting naked. We're talking to Dunedin jeweler and painter John Z. Robinson about his work, and in particular his professional lifetimes work in perfecting the nude as an art form. John, welcome to Sightlines. And I'm glad to be able to tell listeners that we are in fact both fully clothed in the studio. Now, you are an artist with an extraordinary following, not the least demonstration of which is that, as a long-time follower, I think I can say hand on heart that it would not be possible to walk down the main street of Dunedin uh, without seeing someone proudly wearing a piece of your jewellery. And likewise, your art has been popular for decades and you've also been known to publish a few books. So how did you get started in your art career
2: when I was at high school, I decided that I wanted to be a jeweller. Now, I don't know where this came from because I don't have jewellery makers in my background at all. And I came from a small town where there wasn't a, um, a jeweller. Anyway, I jumped on a bus when I was in the sixth form and went to Palmerston North and went to a shop and said, are you looking for an apprentice? And they said, yes. That's how easy it was on the
1: Yes, the days of yeah, employment. yeah. Yeah.
2: And so I started out as a jeweller, and while I was doing my apprenticeship four and a half years, I became more and more interested in painting. We had a customer, we had lots of interesting customers, but we had a, a lady called Marion Tiley, who seemed to be incredibly ancient to me, but I looked to date up just this morning. She was born in 1900, so she would have been in her early 70s when I approached her, when she came in to get her watch cleaned and asked her if she'd give me painting lessons and she said oh no young man I'm much too old you want to go somewhere modern. <laughs> so she wasn't um, going to help me at all so in the end I sort of did a, a number of things I kept painting and then I came to art school in Dunedin.
1: So I think one of the things that people really notice about your work is that a lot of it is beautifully colourful it's vibrant, and I think you've said that there were some seminal influences quite early on in your life that you think perhaps influenced your love of colour.
2: Yes, um, my mother um, had to do a lot of washing for my father. He trained racehorses, and so every Sunday and Monday the washing line would be full of jockey silks and caps. Sometimes the caps got washed as well. And um, they were the most colourful thing, I think, um, in my growing up. In Foxton? In Foxton, yes,
1: yes. Not a lot of colour happening in Foxton in the 70s. <laughs> 60s. 60s. 50s. <laughs> Look, but who's counting? <laughs> and then I think you've also said that there was a ch- particular church where you yes, were well, drawn. Yes,
2: well, we, we, we were sent to Sunday school weekly, and um, they were in the, the little Anglican church there, All Saints. Um, they have some really nice Victorian stained glass, and um, that I always thought was... Um, Really wonderful.
1: Yeah, very beautiful. So you've been doing your jewellery apprenticeship in Palmerston North. You're getting a bit bored. You're still doing your painting. And then you headed to art school, and I think you met somebody in Dunedin. Yes,
2: well, well, actually, I, before I came to Dunedin, I was in Timaru. And um, while I was there, because I belonged to, at that stage, I was a adherent of the Baha'i faith. And um, I met Robin White who was based in Dunedin at the time, but she'd come up to, to Maru for something. And I talked to her about painting, and she said um, very pragmatically, if you want to be a doctor, they send you to a, to med school, and if you want to be an artist, you've got to go to art school. So I applied for the Dunedin Art School at the Polytech and um, was accepted. So I've really been in Otago ever since.
1: And lucky old us. Was there anybody at art school that was a particularly profound influence on you, John?
2: Yes, I, well, we had two, two tutors. In our first year, we had uh, Waldron Tucker, who is one of those people that people who went to art school either speak of with terror or with admiration. He did turn re- uh, art into a religion, I think, which is mm. not a good thing. But anyway, but, and, but he had spent a lot of time in Britain, so he was really only interested in French and British artists. Which is, I think, is a good, not a bad thing. And um, then in our third year for painting, we had Bernard Holman, who was from London, and uh, he really just spoke about the um, British artists. So um, we were quite aware of, you know, the Bacon's and the uh, Hockneys and the Albachs and mm, mm. Um, Keith Fawns.
1: And I think that some of those influences still are seen in your work. Yes, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah. So you did art school, Yep. Um, so you followed Robin's advice, you got your formal training, tick that box, <laughs> and then I think you took, which by some people's standards might be quite a surprising move, you, you left Dunedin.
2: Yes, I, um, I went down to Kaitangata and I was here for three or four years and um, I had, had the sort of notion that every community needed an artist but, of course, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I had four years there, and I did meet some lovely people, and I did a lot of produced a lot of work while I was there.
1: Yes. And I think you bought Robin White's house once yes. yes yes, yes yeah, That's yeah.
2: Right, her little cottage that um, there's a, a very famous image of her with her arms folded in front of this little cottage saying, this is me at Kaitangata and that's the and house
1: that's your house. Wow, yeah. that's very cool it's Something that you don't hear about very often really, artists travelling to um, visit the art galleries of Europe for inspiration and learning is quite common but John Z going to Kaitangata that's, that's new, we haven't heard that one before <laughs> Yes, I'm more of a sister, Wendy <laughs> <laughs> So you're straight out of art school what sort of art were you producing around that time?
2: It was figurative, and it, it often had words in it, and yeah, and you know, I was I painted the things around me. I painted views from the house. I went up into the hills in Kaitaia to look down on the river, um, the Clutha River, because it, it makes these most wonderful crescents mm. as it disappears towards the hills. So I, I, yeah, I painted all that sort of thing, and I painted friends and yeah. friends' dogs.
1: So you're starting to develop at this stage the sort of interest in the human form. Yes, if you like. yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think you were doing, you started doing your lino cuts, your very famous yes, lino cuts. Yes, I, I, start, I started
2: lino cuts at that time,
1: yeah. yeah. W- Materials-wise, how were you faring in Kaitangata? I can't imagine well, there was an art store supply. supply no, store there. no,
2: certainly not. <laughs> um, there was, when I bought my press, it came with this huge roll of old-fashioned brown lino, and that kept me going for years, but I've run out of that (laughs) truly now.
1: I think most of us can probably remember that from secondary school. I think it might have been standard issue for a while. Correct. I think your lino cuts with the, I think, pithy, almost smart-ass statements are probably some of your most recognisable and indeed accessible work. And I've got, it's a stadium on both your houses hanging on one of my walls at home, which I brought for my husband as a gift because he was the lawyer who wrote the contract for the construction of Forsyth Bar Stadium. The message, I assume, related to the massive rates hike necessitated by the cost of the stadium?
2: Sort of, yeah. I, 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 could, I could see both sides of the argument. I mean, it's yeah. it a great asset for the city, but it was going to be very expensive. And there were lots of studies that showed that stadiums never paid their way. But, you know, it was presented to Dunedin as if it was going to be this great big money
1: maker. Yes, well, it's sort of, as you say, sort of arguments on both sides. Yeah. And I think one of your most famous lino cuts is, it's my hotary and I'll cry if I want to. Tell us about that.
2: Well, uh, a young friend of mine bought it in Balclutha. Um, the little art shop run by Marian Verdona down there had half a dozen of uh, hotary drawings. I bought one myself. Um, but anyway, a friend bought one, and his boyfriend thought that he'd bought it for him and um had and told me so and I thought, Oh, I think there might be tears before bedtime here." <laughs> <laughs>
1: And there were, no and doubt. Then, yes. Yeah, and I think you said he later sold the drawing for... Um, 28,000. Yeah, some yeah. massive, those yeah. sort of halcyon days of yeah. art buying in Dunedin or in Balclutha, as in this case. So you're in Kaitangata, it was around this time that you began exploring painting nudes and I, I could be wrong but I'm guessing that there was probably a dearth of nude um, um, models available to you.
2: Yes and even though I did have friends there, I would have been far too shy to ask Not anyone. that good of friends. <laughs> so I, um, so to get around that, I used to lie, take my own clothes off and lie down and try and imagine and perform the poses that I wanted for the um, drawings and paintings I was doing and sort of work from sort of an internal kind of image Mm,
1: mm. of how it
2: felt. Um, I don't do that
1: anymore I'm <laughs> kind of glad to hear that and I guess hope that nobody turns up unexpectedly at the door and doesn't knock um, <laughs> Looking back on those images now how do you feel about them?
2: They, uh, they show a lot of ignorance
1: <laughs> So you're working it out at this stage Yes yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: I think um, these days you have regular sittings with nude models Yes,
2: I, I, have, a, I have a model every week Yep. and um, for for two reasons. One, obviously, I, every now and then I do actually finish something and you know put it in a frame. But even if it's just a drawing, I always feel that it's a wee bit like a musician doing their scales because there's no hiding. I don't mean that from the model's point of view. <laughs> I mean from um, you know the person who's doing the the drawing or the painting because it's so obvious with a human figure when something is wrong
1: no getting away from it is yeah, there? there's that no it somehow it just from, looks no. contorted yep. or uncomfortable yeah do you think that's because as humans we're all innately and very obviously aware of how oh, we look and how we
2: I'm sure even if even if we could, could can't all draw or all it or paint it just you know, really describe it accurately with you know some kind of media I think people instinctively know when it's Bad.
1: Yeah, you know a bad nude when you see see one. one. (laughs) That's a good line. (laughs) You can use it if you like, it's all yours. (laughs) Thank you. So you came to focus on men, including nudes, as one of your preferred subjects. Tell me about that.
2: Well, I mean, I am gay, so obviously I, I am more attracted to the male figure than I am the female.
1: Yep, yep. And was there some part of you that needed to express a belief about men and their wider.
2: Yes, I I had an exhibition. I don't know about 2005, where I did little portraits of men, just head and shoulders. They were all the same, head and shoulders, and I matched them up with a flower that just happened to work formally with with them. And I thought at the time that um, someone asked me about it, and I thought, oh, well, you know, men get all the bad publicity all the time and I'm not saying they don't deserve it but I mean, everything that goes wrong in the world seems to be men's fault, men's fault. so um, this was just not to deny that or anything like that but it was really just to sort of try and bring out the beauty
1: of men. Mm. And I have the catalogue which you kindly gave me for that exhibition and, and it's absolutely beautiful and again very colourful And I looked at that and I swore to God that I knew every single person in that catalogue. Not that I did, but because you've achieved what you talked about before of being able to portray people as they actually look, there's nothing fake or or weird if you like about the way that they look in those pictures. You think, I guess, that there's been, well, we all know that there's been a s- sort of fascination since time immemorial of, of men and the male form, and we've got, you know, examples, the most outstanding examples of Michelangelo's statue of David, Raphael's crucifixion. There's a long history of the exploration of perfection and heroism of men uh, in art. You're trying to convey something simpler and more. Pure. Yes, I,
2: yeah. I mean, this, this is probably not a, an heroic age. Um, well, maybe it is. I mean, we do
1: heroism uh, comes in different forms. Forms, I guess, yeah. different
2: forms. Yeah, but but I yes, I, I want something a wee bit sort of a little bit more gentle and hopeful. Uh, is that the right word? You know, I mean, hope can be a funny kind of emotion. The other day, I read where Obama had given a speech and he ended it by saying, "Despair is not an option," and. Um, of course, despair is an option, but I can see what he – I think I know what he means, that we've got to sort of, um, you know, without sounding like Pollyanna, we've, we've got to be positive. Box on. <laughs> box on, that's <laughs> yeah.
1: right. It's probably all very well if you're um, Obama, I suspect, but try telling that to thousands of New Zealanders in yeah. the face of a cost-of-living crisis in New Zealand. I think in the essay that went with that exhibition, um, which was Other Men's Flowers, um, it says – you are interested in pleasure rather than pain and that your portraits are works of redemption conveying something of the vitality of the human spirit, a message often lost on a diet of more stoic, sombre renderings. Does that sum it up for you?
2: I think it does. I'd forgotten that, but it sounds yeah. good to me.
1: Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. Yeah. So 20 years on, how has your work with nudes evolved, John?
2: I'm trying to get, to. to you know, I think that's... What normally happens with any kind of practice, you try to be able to convey it more simply, um, a little bit more economically, but achieve the same sort of result.
1: Mm. Is it easier to get models these days? <laughs> yes,
2: it is. Oh, yes, I don't have any problem.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I think people might be interested to know. I mean, you know, nude modelling is something that the vast majority of the population would run a mile to avoid. Yes, but yes, yes. Is it a niche skill? What do you need in a nude model?
2: Well, I do like them to, to remain still, um, but then again, some people can't, so you have to work really quickly. I mean, some people are naturally more fidgety than others.
1: Yes, I can imagine. I, I, but I, I'm
2: I'm never worried about you know whether they have you know the best set of legs in the world or the best pecs or anything like that. That doesn't interest me as such, um, because when I always find, I often find that I end up having a very good relationship. You yes. know, these people become friends and you can con- then of course the more you know about a person beyond what you're seeing you can you know I'm sure it must inform mm, the finished mm. work
1: you can convey that yeah. somehow in yeah. what you're painting yeah has your medium changed?
2: Um, well yes in recent years uh, and this be- was because of one of my models who um, was a millennium millennial <laughs> person born of the, somewhere near the turn of the century mm. Um, actually, he was a little bit old, even though he called himself a millennial. Um, <laughs> he was one of those people, one of the models. A lot of young models these days are wedded to their cell phones, so they're amusing themselves on their cell phone while I'm working away. But anyway, he came in with a, a Samsung tablet, which he could draw on, and um, I immediately fell in love with it because I had a we play. So I've I've been doing, um, I haven't done a lino cut for a few years and I've been doing, so I've been doing my prints now on the Samsung tablet and I email them to a printer here in town and they get um, produced on beautiful conservation paper and with these German inks which are guaranteed to last for 100 plus years. Wow. Yeah. And but the range of colours is stunning.
1: I have seen uh, some of your your recent work, which you've kindly shown to me. And if I hadn't seen it, I think I would have been sitting here going, oh, it sounds like cheating to me. But (laughs) they are completely gorgeous. And I I guess there must be some advantage um, in the sense that you don't have to wait for paint to dry in order to play around with your work.
2: They, they, um, They are an entirely new medium. Because of that, because because of the things you you can do, I, and I'm not saying they're superseding anything. Anything, it, it's the same as um, you know when electric instruments were invented. The electric guitar stands alone from an acoustic guitar, but it doesn't replace it. There's a you know there is a there's somewhere for them both. And, and um, I, th- I think when we were talking the other day, I had some little line from my childhood about um, you don't need to know how to shoe a horse if you want to change the wheel on your. Um, Honda Civic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's very apt in this context isn't it? Yeah. Do, do most artists, and I suppose you, you may not be able to answer this, but do most artists now include that more technological uh, way of producing art is, uh, in their repertoire?
2: Well a lot are, yes. I mean mm. if, if you look at sort of catalogues from, from anywhere, there are a lot of inkjet uh, prints and so uh, if, uh, um, technology is having its effect on and, and the oil paint, even oil paints, for instance, um, when we were at art school and did oil paints, there was a very set order in, what you could, in which you could put the colours because the light colours over the dark colours, which is the natural progression, um, the dark colours dried more quickly than the light colours. Or was it the other way around? I've forgotten now. And that's why oil paints can crack,
1: Yes,
2: yeah, yeah. So I mean, but now the the oil paint, now you could, you know, some of the oil paints actually are water-based, which sounds... Extraordinary. Oxymoron, but... Yes.
1: Because you're able to um, play around with the work as you are creating it because you're doing it on a tablet. You said before that, you know, when you're dealing with nudes, you have to work quite quickly. So does that create an advantage for you in that... Context.
2: Yes, I think it. I think it does. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Your recent work is, is quite sort of seems to be veering towards abstraction again. Is that something that you are conscious of? That yes. You're yes. On?
2: Yes. I. I. I, I, qu- I quite like, the idea of being just a little bit more abstract. Yeah. Not sort of focusing in, but sort of an opening up.
1: Yes, yes. And it seems, looking more broadly, just not at your work but at the work of other artists, in recent times there seems to have been something of a renaissance, if you like, of, of that. Thank goodness, yes,
2: yes. The, the, um, yeah, the, the, the traditional subjects for, for painters and sculptors, for that matter, before we you know had sort of video art and conceptual art and all those things, which, again, have got their place. But for a little while there, all around the world, art schools were... Not teaching live drawing and discouraging people from doing portraits, and getting them to be abstract and um, Mm. you know, but it's it's coming back because we can't get away from it. No, and it's who we are.
1: Well, it's very very attractive. Yeah, basically that's what art is about. We're drawn to what we like, don't we? John, thank you for coming today and talking to, to for talking to us about your work and giving some insight into. In particular, your nudes. You're a much admired and deeply respected member of the Dunedin art community and we are very grateful to you for giving us your time and for talking to us about your work. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to you, our listeners. Join us again in March as we talk to local reviewers about the underappreciated art of writing about art. If you'd like to hear today's show again or listen to previous shows, you can find us on the Otago Access Radio and Depag Society websites. Thanks to contributor Ross Curry and producer Jonathan Quayle. I'm Sally McMillan and you've been listening to Sightlines.